This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Uh, this weekend, we saw a shooting in Quebec City. An immigration ban placed in the United States, essentially a, a Muslim ban. What's going on? What is the local reaction? Audubon Cameron Bati into the conversation, spokesman for the Muslim Association here in Hamilton, to get some reaction. Cameron, thank Cameron, thank you so much for the time. It's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Bill. Good morning. It's uh, It's been a hell of a weekend. Let's, let's talk, first of all, about what happened most recently in Quebec City and your thoughts. Well, you know, I, we, we don't like to necessarily jump to conclusions and jump to, to any, any uh, you know, final, final statements, but here's what we know. We know that uh, there were uh, six individuals that were, that were killed. Um, the age range was anywhere between 35 and and just over 70 um, of the victims. Uh, we know that there are uh, two people uh, who are uh, in custody at this point. Uh, there's potentially a third at large. Um, and we know that, you know, these were, these were Muslim uh, citizens, Muslim uh, uh, parishioners at this mosque who, who just wanted to go and pray their evening prayers. And, uh, and, and they were shot in cold blood. So, you know, it's, it, uh, you know, it's, it's very concerning that, you know, a mosque that had an event uh, back in June where a, a pig head, a severed mm-hmm. pig head, was placed at the front steps of this, this mosque in the holy month of Ramadan, um, has this event happen just a few months, months later. And, and it wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily reported, uh, or, or rather, uh, it wasn't uh, surveyed by the police services. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Uh, and and the speculation, I'm sure you've seen that, Cameron, on, the, on some, a number of the, the websites right now, a lot of fake news. And, and immediately, of course, they said this was the responsibility of two refugees, uh, but it was a fake news site that put that up, and, and that's simply been uh, repudiated since then. We don't know who these two people are at this stage. We don't, and and I think that's very important uh, for us to to not, uh, like I said, jump to any conclusions. Uh, there was also fake news that said that uh, it was two white supremacists, um, and so we, you know these types of news stories are 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 quickly being floated, and I think um, you know we we shouldn't obviously buy into the the hysteria on Twitter. Um, what's really war heartwarming though is across the country, even this morning. Um, the you know the the outpouring of support from wider communities to local Muslim communities, uh, asking them if they're okay, asking them if they need anything. These words of reassurance, letting them know that you know they the, the Muslim community is part of their communities, and I think that was led by uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who last night very. Uh, very forcefully came out and made a statement, uh, you know, calling this a terrorist attack and that this is not Canadian and this will not be accepted here in Canada. Uh, you know, the, the premier in, in Quebec said uh, similar, similar uh, statements. Uh, the police services in Quebec City is treating this as a terrorist attack. I think these are the types of, uh, you know, leadership moments that uh, really encourage the Muslim community uh, and the Muslim communities uh, that, you know, this isn't uh, something that's against them necessarily and that we have these allies within our communities. And this is a, a, a small segment of the population that uh, commits these types of acts 
and and that you know we we are welcomed in this country, and that we are we are certainly uh, you know part and parcel uh, of the social fabric here in Canada. We're going to try to get an update in just a couple of minutes uh, from uh, our reporter, our global news reporter up in uh, Quebec City right now, Cameron. But, it, you know, when I heard this story, it, it immediately, uh, my mind went back to that horrendous uh, incident, of course, down in the southern United States, South Carolina, I guess it was, when somebody just broke into a, a black church then and just started shooting and, and killed a number of people. Uh, and here we are again. I mean, what does it tell us that, that, that the house of worship, the place of worship, which is supposed to be a refuge of peace and 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 you know you'd think some sense of tranquility and and they're not safe anymore. That that's a pretty scary scenario. It certainly is. I mean, they you know these these houses of worship represent um, something for for those communities. They are this this place of sanctuary. It's a place of peace. It's a place of solace. It's a place of refuge. For those that just want a you know a quiet moment to worship, to spend time with, with uh, you know with God, with you know just spend this spiritual time, and you know they're under attack. I mean, Dylan Roof, the the uh, the perpetrator in, in in South Carolina, you know he he just had this 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 anger towards African Americans, and and he went in and he shot. Uh, you know, shot up that church in Texas just uh, last week. There was a church that was that was uh, engulfed in flames. They, you know, it was lit on fire and burned down. Um, what happens though? Which, and I'll go back to this. What's important is is that the wider communities really come together. These are moments in which uh, communities come together and unite, regardless of faith, regardless of uh, of ethnicity. And they come and they rebuild. They rebuild these communities, and they let those know, the victims know that they are supported and that they are part uh, of, of, the, of those communities. You've got a couple of minutes left here, and I know it's a busy time for you too, Cameron. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, your thoughts about the executive order that was signed by President Trump on Friday, which is essentially a Muslim ban. I mean, they, they deny that, and they said this is a, a terrorist uh, deal, but... Uh, even Rudy Giuliani, who we're told have helped craft this this executive order, uh, admitted on Fox News today that of course it's a Muslim ban, but they had to reword it for legal reasons. Uh, th- we've seen some of the reaction, some of the implications for this. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I have a lot of family in the United States. My my wife's family is from Michigan. Um, I have I have cousins. I have lots of family members in the U.S. And you know, it was there's so much that's loaded into this. Um, you know, this, this executive order comes within 24 hours. Uh, it was, it was uh, implemented. The, the agents, the, the, the Border Patrol agents on the ground didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. They were just told, you need to vet these individuals. You need to stop these people from coming in. You need to go through and, you know, this, this extreme uh, interview process where people were then being you know, held, held at airports for hours and, and hours. And you saw those pictures. I mean, these were people that were essentially in the air when the president signed this order, and they landed in whatever, New York or whatever city, and we're told you can't, you can't get off the you can't leave. You're gone. You have to go back. That's right. And, you know, what, what happened from a Canadian context, I know of families that, you know, it wasn't in the air, but it was before they, they uh, arrived at the airports, they were told, listen, change your flight, because if you've got a connection in the United States, you're going to have to get off and go through customs. Don't do that. 
reroute your flight so that you don't have to go through it. People with with uh, Iranian passports or, or Sudanese passports. Um, you know, the, these were people that, that land and all of a sudden there's a surprise and they're sent back. People, the refugees that were coming to land and be with their families were sent back to, to, uh, to Qatar and, and Doha um, only because of, of, of their passport and because of this, this executive order. And I saw that interview with, uh, with Rudy Giuliani where he's explicitly stating, you know what, uh, we couldn't just come out and say this is a Muslim ban. We had to do it more nuanced and so that it's, you know, we had to do it within the, the, the boundaries of the law. This sends a message. And what's really interesting is, is that the, the genesis behind this is to protect the United States from terrorist attacks. That's the, the veil. Uh, that's in front of this. If you look since, I think it was 1980, uh, the number of terrorist attacks in the United States committed by refugees is zero. But those, well, I'll, I'll go back to September 11th of, of, of exactly. 2011. Uh, the number of people f- that were involved in that heinous terrorist attack, from none of them were from the seven countries that are affected by the ban. None of them. They weren't, exactly. And if you look at those countries and the people that came from those countries, those, they, like you said, um, you know, those countries are still not on the ban. And some are arguing that perhaps that's because the president has business relationships with those countries. Um, you know, the, the reality here Which is... Which tells me that, that there's a business aspect to this, too. This isn't just about politics. Uh, you know, the, the homeland of some of the people that were suspected terrorists and did carry out acts, uh, the Trump Organization does business there, so they're excluded from the ban. They get a free pass. That's right. And, you know, what's really interesting, though, is that if you look in, the, in this morning in the Washington Post, there's an article there where they, had, they, they were able to tap into some of the terrorist channels that they use on Telegram, and they are calling this a blessed ban because this is reaffirming and reassuring them that the United States is against Islam. And they're using this as fuel and motivation to say, hey, look, everybody, your government's against you, your country's against you, uh, you know, we're going to use this. And when, when, when you look at it, if the true genuine purpose of this type of a ban was to protect Americans and those throughout the world from terrorists, well, it looks like it's had very unintended effects, and in fact, the, the opposite effects. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see over the next uh, few weeks and months. It, was, it wasn't until there was a court order that these individuals were allowed and, and released from, from the airports, and even then some of the CBP officers weren't allowing people to, to go through. They were, they were refusing the court orders. Um, but again, I want to go back to my original statement. The fact that communities came out in the millions at these airports of all faiths, backgrounds, and ethnicities to support uh, the, these refugees, these people that are being uh, detained at the airports, these, these green card holders, people that legally are allowed to be in the United States, that was a tremendous moment for many in the United States. A lot of people uh, within my family, my friend circles, they're saying, look, this is a terrible uh, event that's uh, occurred. This executive order is terrible. But you know what? We see that we have allies. We, we see that we have friends in our communities that support us. This, and that's, uh, that, I think, was, was, was one, of the, one of the stories uh, of this weekend. This also, this executive order also reminded me of one of the darker days of, of North American history, and that goes back to World War II 
when uh, tens of thousands of Italo-Canadians and Japanese-Canadians were interred in special camps uh, because they were a threat. That, that was the same threat. The same terminology that the Trump campaign and the Trump administration used is the same terminology that was used in those days. They are, because of your heritage, you are a potential threat, you are a potential spy, uh, so they locked them up, and they took them, and some of them from this Hamilton area. I know some of the families whose fathers or grandfathers were hushered up into northern Ontario to these camps, and they were they were basically prisoners. They did the same thing, of course, out in, in West with, uh, with Japanese Canadians, simply because they all looked at them as a potential threat. Now, subsequent governments have apologized to those people for that, but here we are again, Cameron. History is repeating itself. Yeah, indeed it is. And, you know, this 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 idea of this, you know, let's call it dog whistle politics, is not something new. You know, this language of security, this language of of, of keeping uh, our borders secure, it, it's, it's not something new. And what the way that, you know, we are encouraging our community members to, to, to sort of fight back and, 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 and be informed is the most important thing, is that we need to know of what's happening in, in, in our political systems. In the United States, you know, there, there's a bill right now that's in front of Congress that, that explicitly lists several key um, organizations, uh, Muslim organizations, as being terrorist organizations. They want to list them as terrorist organizations. And if that gets passed, and, you know, my family in the U.S. is saying that's going to go through with, with no challenges because the Republicans... Uh, you know, are controlling uh, the legislative and the executive branches of politics, it falls on the judicial system. And we're, you know, they're already starting to prepare us, you know, their, their, their motions uh, for the courts. It's really concerning, though, that, you know, you have these communities throughout our countries that are, you know, taxpaying citizens, that are doctors, lawyers, engineers, that are, you know, your cab drivers, people that are contributing back to society who are all of a sudden feeling marginalized. You know, athletes, look at what happened with, with Mo Farah. What was his, you know, this, this athlete, this Olympian from, from Britain, this double gold medalist, uh, you know, who trains in the United States, who lives in Oregon, you know, he's saying, hold on a second, what's going on? I was born in Somalia, and now all of a sudden, because of that, look at all that I've done, and you're still going to ban me? Now, fortunately, what happened subsequently was the British government has said, just like the Canadian government said, look, if you're a dual citizen, then, then you should be okay. But what about all those innocent people that want to just come and be reunited with their families and who are being torn apart now? professors, uh, there's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, in, uh, you know, this Iranian professor, who's been there for, for years, who studied at Oxford. He had a, a statement where he wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, uh, allowed to see his family members. You know, this is the kind of thing, these kinds of divisive politics need to come to an end. And it starts with our leadership. Our leadership needs to come out and they have come out and said that these politics of fear and hate uh, will not uh, divide us. We will not allow that to happen here in our country. And it's up to our community members, all of us, to come together, unite, and, and you know, call out these types of heinous acts and, and support one another, no matter of what their faith, ethnicity, or, or cultural backgrounds are. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. So 
let's let's try to put some context into this. Joining us uh, on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this is David Vidset, who is a terrorism expert, formerly of Scotland Yard, of course, uh, turned author now. Of course, the Theseus Paradox, a great read for us. But I want to bring David in to talk about his uh, his expertise in investigating these uh, incidents. David, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us here today. I'm good to be back, Phil. How are you? Good. I know that you've uh, been looking into this. What 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 have you found out? Oh, it's, it's, the, the information is very sketchy. It's, it's very strange um, to, for the uh, police to withhold so much information, um, especially when there's so much speculation on social media. I mean, I've fallen into a trap myself this morning um, by suggesting some things that um, have now turned out to be incorrect. Um, it, it's very, very difficult to say. Um, I, it was suggested um, that it was a, a Shiite mosque, um, and this may be a, a, a Sunni uh, sectarian attack, but, um, but I, I've got lots of people now telling me that the mosque website um, identifies it as, as Sunni, and, uh, and, and that actually isn't the case. So I think until we until we find out who these people are and what their motivations are, everything else is pretty much speculation, and it's a terrible attack. Um, it doesn't matter how you look at it or what the motives are. Um, I, think, uh, I think Quebec has a very, very low crime rate, and I think there's only two murders there in 2015. It sounds about right. There's been some speculation, again, on social media, and some people wondering why the police are, are, are not releasing any information on this. Could it possibly be, David, because of the the attack that occurred in a few weeks ago in France where uh, the story was that one of the suspects was arrested some blocks away and they thought that was the driver of the truck, and it turned out that the, he wasn't, and the, the guy was released later on. Uh, are, are they, exactly. Do they want to confirm that before they move forward? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it's very, very easy, especially when there's a, um, a, a complicated situation in front of you and the police turn up and you, you've got lots of people running around, lots of emotions. It, it's actually very easy to, to lay hands on the wrong people and, and bring the wrong people in. And especially if somebody's been, a, been arrested far from the scene and, and they've been arrested on description or clothing and things like that. Again, it's very easy to arrest them. And like you say, um, the police won't want to sort of release these details, especially if, if they've got it wrong and, and perhaps they're, they're waiting for some confirmation. Um, it, it is quite strange that we haven't heard uh, by now um, why why this, they think this has happened and who these people are. And, and I think that would play into very much your comments there, is that, you know, perhaps the police aren't sure about who they've got and why they, you know, what the evidence is they've got against them. Based on your experience, David, uh, in, in your investigations of, of, of terrorist attacks or alleged terrorist attacks, what's, what's going on right now with, uh, in, in, with police right now? What are they doing? Well, the, the first thing that they want to deal with is, 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 is to see... Um, they obviously want to deal with the, the dead and the wounded um, and, and, and sort of try and gain as much evidence as they can from the locality. Um, you know, they perhaps like shell cases that are lying around. They want to know the, the type of weapons being used if they don't already have it. Um, they, will, they want to know the, the direction of travel to the scene um, so they can collect CCTV of the suspects before they arrived. Um, they can collect you know, cell site data, things like that. And, um, and a lot of other things, electronic data they can find, so try and establish who they are. And then once, once they, these people have fled the scene, if that's what's happened, they haven't been arrested, they will, again, they want, want, they want to know their direction of travel and try and look at the, the places they, they travel between because there'll be all sorts of things that, that will fall off of a suspect as he's running down the street, you know, or he might discard things, things like weapons. Um, or identification, you know, because that may, that may be the other the other problem with this is that the two people they've got. I know there, there's some speculation they had local accents as well, 
Um, but, but again, they, they could be. They don't know who they've got and who, until they know who they've actually arrested. They've discarded all of their identification. They may be waiting for uh, for that. Is there a, a, a supposition at this stage, David, that these two acted alone, or, or is the supposition quite the opposite that they think they could be part of a network? Where, where are police? Th- where are their heads right now? Well, I think um, it, generally in what we find in terror attacks, I mean, the, the term lone wolf is, is banded about a lot because it's, um, it's, it's much easier to sort of uh, to digest for people. You know, somebody just decided to get a gun and, and go and shoot some people in a mosque. Um, and, but the, the reality is that, that these things are very complex. Um, there's lots of uh, interactions and, and relationships between people which um, who encourage this sort of thing. Um, and for whatever motives, you know, there, there are a whole a whole host of motives. That, you know, this, this this could just be a criminal attack for some reason. You know, there, there could be a, a this could have been somebody in the mosque that they were targeting in particular, but they wanted to make it look like something different, so they killed others. This could be a, a, a you know a, a right wing attack. Um, somebody that's playing right down the road with with, with Trump and and all, all that's going on in the US. Um, this, this could be um, this could be a sectarian attack, as I said earlier. It, it, it could be in any number of things. Um, and this, but whatever whatever the motive is, it's very unusual for people to, to act alone and to act on their own. Um, they, there's all sorts of relationships which help them, you know, where they source their weapons from, where they source some money, if they if they carried out surveillance on this particular place, you know, to know what time their prayer times are, um, to know which particular night has the most most number of visitors, you know, any of those things, I, I don't know the answer to. But um, but if you were carrying out attack, that's the sort of thing that will, will be done, and and those sorts of things require finance, they require skills, uh, and and you you don't usually acquire that yourself on your own. I, I we don't have the names of of the two people that are in custody right now, but I'm I, I got to assume that at this point, police are probably ascertaining at least who they're dealing with here. Uh, what what kind of communications are going on between police and other agencies at this stage, David? Is is there a, a cross check to, to you know with the the five eyes that we've talked about in the past uh, that are monitoring well, yeah. activity like this to see if they're known to them or if there's been any uh, indication that they've used some of those sites or some of those resources? Well, of course I will. But um, but before you can before you can kick off anything like that, you've got to have some form of uh, base to be able to, to work from in terms of you know you need to know names, telephone numbers, addresses. Uh, vehicle details, um, you know, passport details, any of those sorts of things. Of course, there's lots and lots of checks to be done, but until you until you correctly identified somebody and correctly attributed um, things like weapons and, and, and telephones to certain people, um, a lot of it is going to be very much get um, speculation, and, and you can't you can't get um, information from the security service without having some form of base. So again, that might be what what the police are waiting for. You know, waiting they're waiting for fingerprints to come back. They haven't got identification on them. They're waiting for DNA checks, and and, and they haven't. Uh, you know, they can't go and do um, home address searches and things like that until they know who these people are. Is this at this point a police investigation or deceases RCMP uh, get involved in this? I mean, who else, who else is is in on this right now? Well, uh, well I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the um, the investigation strategy here and, and who who is involved. I'm, I've read some things that RCMP are the lead on it, but uh, the, the local police also have something on as well. Um, and, I, and, and your your domestic intelligence service will also be involved, but I don't know how close the liaison is between uh, RCMP and the um, and the, the, the security service here in the UK. It would, it would be normal 
for this good service to be involved at a very early stage. Um, and, and again, they, you know, they may have intelligence which would suggest you know, an attack was planned or we had some intelligence to say there was some chatter from this particular group on their telephones to say that they were planning something big, but we didn't have any specifics over the order. So it would be normal here for the intelligence services to be involved at a very early stage <clears throat> and for us to be gaining that sort of intelligence from them. But again, I don't, I don't know what the protocols are or sharing that sort of intelligence between the police and the security service are over there. David, you, you referenced uh, President Trump's executive order on Friday, uh, the, the, special, the Muslim ban uh, against seven different countries that are predominantly Muslim. I, I want to switch, and by the way, I'm not implicating at this stage by any stretch of the imagination that one is connected with the other. That That's... Uh, that's that's not on the table right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But uh, it was a big story, and there were implications to this. And and there's a great deal of concern. We just talked to somebody from the Muslim Association here locally that uh, has relatives uh, in the United States and and of course in Europe as well. And there's a concern about the implications that uh, that that executive order may have uh, on those nations and others. Please comment on that again, based on your past experience about investigations and, and ripple effects from that kind of legislation? Well, I think um, the, the first question first is, is that I've been critical of, of people calling our Muslim ban on, on social media. I don't think it's a Muslim ban. It affects um, a very small proportion of the world's Muslims. Um, I, I, I think figures are around 10 to 12% of the world's Muslims. Um, I don't know what the intentions of the policy are, and, I, and I'm only guessing when I look at it, that the places he has um, he has identified for extreme veteran, and that's what this is. He, he said, I don't want people traveling to the country for three months until they have been vetted and, and an extreme veteran uh, thing that the U.S. are going to put in place. Um, so there, there are a, a vast number of Muslims that aren't, aren't connected to, to this extreme vetting or ban or whatever you want to call it. Um, in terms of uh, it's, it, the ripple effects and, and, and the effects it has on, on everyone else, um, there's outrage. I mean, there's absolute outrage here in the UK. Um, but uh, in common with, with pretty much anything that Trump does at the moment, there is outrage. Um, he's very, very unpopular here. Um, uh, uh, you know, he's very, he seems very unpopular, according to what I can see on social media in the US. Uh, and, and there's lots of people shouting about everything that he does. Um, it's something that he, he said he was going to do on his campaign trail. Uh, and, and, and that's what people voted for him for. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's difficult to um, sort of criticise him for doing what he says he was going to do. You know, I don't agree with it. I, I think it's a, it's an old policy. I don't see how it charges anything. But there could be all sorts of negotiations going on in the background, and he's using this as some form of tool as an as a negotiating tool with other states to do what he wants to do. Um, so, so I think we have to look at that as well in terms of how it affects uh, Muslims and the way and the way it, will, it could be used uh, by propagandists to. to recruit other people. Yes, they, of course they will try and do it. Yes, they will say America is, is against the Muslims and, and that's pretty much what's happening. Um, will, it, will it drive people to terrorism? I don't think so. People are a terrorist or they're not. Um, and they don't, they don't require um, things like immigration controls uh, to, to push them in, into a corner uh, and make them do something. Um, it's just one tiny piece of, 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 the, of, of the tool that, that people will use to recruit people. 
the, the band seems it seems to actually, actually probably you know beg more questions than it does answer questions at this stage too. And, and I guess maybe the first one is why those seven countries. Uh, because when you look at statistically about some of the people responsible for terrorist activity, uh, there's little yeah. to none from the seven countries involved. Uh, yet, right. when you look at some of the other predominantly Muslim countries that were left yeah. off the ban, which coincidentally Judge yeah. Trump seems to be doing business with in his other enterprises, yeah. you wonder how much of this is politics and how much of this is business. Well, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty much all, all business related um, um, politics for, for whatever reason you know, and, and showmanship. Um, it's, the, the seven countries that he's targeted, they, they're all areas of conflict. Um, they're all areas which the U.S. has been accused of meddling in in the past, uh, and the U.K. too. Um, and, and they're, they're, but they're not places that, that we see large numbers of terrorists go and attack in other places. So I don't think we can, we can say that that is the purpose of the policy. Um, if you look at, um, I know Trump's talked a lot about what's gone on here uh, here in Europe over the last sort of 18 months. And, and but even when you look at the statistics of, of who was involved and why they were involved here, yes, IS have been in the background. Yes, IS well, in Syria have uh, commanded attacks uh, on, on Europe and some of their followers have carried out attacks. And I think we've had, you know, 200, 300 uh, deaths here from from terror attacks and people who who are pledging uh, sort of allegiance to um, to IS, but all of those people are, na- are, are have been uh, sort of nationals or pretty much nationals from the countries that they attacked or or, or neighbouring countries. You know the, the people that attacked Paris in 2015, they most of them were Belgians. Um, there were uh, some papers from asylum seekers um, found. Uh, at the scenes, but I think they've been found that, that, that they were they were French nationals who previously travelled to Syria, uh, destroyed all their documents in Syria, and to get back into Europe, they claimed asylum and, and claimed a false name. So this this whole policy uh, of his it doesn't appear to be terrorist related, um, and it certainly doesn't have any statistics to back it up. Uh, like you say, I mean, 19 of the, of the attackers in 2001 were from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia doesn't appear on this on this list for extreme betting. Another one was from Lebanon. Lebanon doesn't appear on on extreme betting. Um, if, if you want to look at heritage of some of the other attackers, you know, Pakistan, you know, has lots and lots of problems with extremism. Pakistan isn't on on the list. So number one, it isn't isn't about Muslims, and it's not about um, it's not about uh, terrorists uh, because if it was, the different countries, you know, perhaps France would be have extreme veteran controls in them, perhaps even in the UK. Um, so I think it's more about what the, the areas of conflict and conflict zones you're targeting. But I, my feeling is it's more about showmanship and there's, there's politics going on in the background that's associated to it. I got about a minute left here, David. Uh, you mentioned the, res- uh, the the implications in the UK. Uh, Prime Minister May has said she disagrees with the uh, the executive order. Uh, I'm I'm told this morning, uh, reading the uh, the Times, that the uh, the opposition leader there is actually calling for the uh, the uh, I guess the the visit that Trump's going to make to the UK later on to be cancelled. And, and there's a petition being signed right now. Uh, we're getting similar uh, responses from uh, the president of France and from Angela Merkel in Germany right now. What what are the implications for those that are tr- presenting a united front against terrorism? Uh, it seems as if the United States is becoming persona non grata to a lot of the EU nations now. Well, I, I think um, I, I can't see the the, 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 the petition here. It's got over a million signatures already, uh, and it's climbing all the time by about 100,000 every, every sort of few hours, I think. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't see um, the government here 
banning uh, um, you know, the President of the United States coming from to the United Kingdom discussing things with them. Um, I think we will have a lot of demonstrations. I think there will be violence at these demonstrations. There's a lot of outrage on, on people who um, you know, oppose Trump and, and oppose his policies. Um, the, the, the implications all over the world are, yes, you know, America uh, and, and, and Trump as its president um, is causing uh, some conflict, but there, there are a great many people, um, and you know, you've got to look around. There are a great many people who support Trump, and they support what he's doing, and they say that what's going on has been a long time coming. Um, that the, the, you know, the, the left and Islamic extremism, particularly, um, it, it's had had its day, and people want somebody to to stamp their feet and say, "I'm going to do something about this." Uh, we, when we look at Syria, when we look at the way um, Obama dealt with the conflict in Syria, um, meddled in it, you know, financially, uh, but didn't take any firm action, allowed uh, you know, half the country to to leave and to you know to become refugees in neighbouring states or Europe, um, allowed you know millions of people to die. Uh, yet, you know, Russia's gone and it's intervened militarily. And, and it's brought about uh, an end to the conflict, uh, and it's brought about people sitting around the table and discussing it. Um, and there are a great many people who say, well, Trump is the sort of person that's, that's going to do exactly that, and, and perhaps bringing, bringing a short, short sharp end uh, is, is the way forward. My own feelings are, is that I'm, not, I'm not sure that's correct, um, but, I, but I don't have the answers. And I, I, you know, we, we tried it Obama's way, and it didn't work. Uh, and I look at what Putin's done, and I think, well, you know, perhaps, perhaps there was a, you know, at an early stage, the UK should have been firmer, and perhaps America should have been firmer. So there, there's two sides to that coin. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM 900 CHML. It's uh, time for the Chiefs Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert joins us here in studio. Good to have you with us again, Chief. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here as usual. Listen, I got a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but let's let's touch on the current events thing right now and, and the, the terrible tragedy that occurred in Quebec City. Uh, and, and, and of course, it's a very fluid situation, but from a policing standpoint, uh, I mentioned, I asked this of David Veidset, our uh, terrorism expert from Scotland Yard, uh, just in the last few minutes when he was on the program from London. Uh, what's going on? How are police handling this at this stage? How does the investigation evolve, and, and what are they doing? You're talking about in Quebec City yeah, proper. Yeah. You're talking about a police response more broadly across the country as a result of the. Well, attacks. we've seen that because I mean, New York City police and yeah. others are now on high alert, yeah. essentially. For the, yeah. But let's let's talk about locally, and then we'll try to broaden the discussion. Yeah. So locally, like any other investigation, obviously uh, saving lives is the first priority when you respond to any scene like that. Uh, containment of suspects, and obviously, and I don't know the details specifically, uh, but I do know one was arrested at the scene, one was arrested uh, fairly close by. So that's our priority is obviously neutralize the threat, uh, if that means uh, arrest or however we have to handle it. But really, uh, first priority is, is, is saving lives and ensuring those people get medical aid and scene containment. So as a first response, and then obviously the investigation uh, flows from that immediately after. As the uh, this is obviously last evening that this occurred. At this stage here, we are now some twenty four, twenty five hours, uh, I guess, after the fact right now. Uh, how do police respond to, if, from a community standpoint at this stage? I mean, it, to, I, I obviously allay the fur, yep. fears. I mean, if 
Uh, <laughs> let's face it, a lot of people are concerned about what might happen, about the implications. Uh, there, there has to be a community outreach portion yeah. of this, I would think. Yeah, and the biggest piece for us is this continuing relationship with our diverse communities. And particularly, it could be the Samaj, it could be the mosque, it could be the temple, uh, it could be the church. Um, so it's those continuing relationships. And the big piece for us is information that comes in. Um, and I don't know the circumstance in this case, but anytime somebody feels something's not quite right, they give us a call. We'll investigate. Uh, as you know, we're tied into the provincial anti-terrorism section with the OPP and the RCMP. Uh, we take any of those threats very seriously and we invest, investigate actively. But as I say, it's the in- information flow from the community that will often help us. We also know that, uh, you know, former or formal terrorist organizations actually completing these acts. Generally speaking, it's not. It's quite often people with mental health issues or otherwise. Um, so we want to know about those, we'll call them lone wolves, uh, in the first instance because we have to act very quickly and we have to find the circumstances. As you know from many of the events, uh, they either don't have a past history at, uh, or they've been surfing the Internet and think, boy, this might be a good idea today, and then act. So we need to know those things Again, when something is unusual in the community, uh, it's those relationships we rely on to get that information to us quickly. Um, That continues in terms of any of these acts that are going on. We know the world political situation. We know uh, what is happening in regard to Islamophobia. And uh, this is a concern to all of us in terms of the tolerance um, and in terms of, you know, our Canadian values. And it's directly in opposition to it. The uh, quote, I believe, from the New York City Chief of Police uh, today was, if you see something, say something. Is that pretty much the mantra at this stage? Definitely. And uh, sometimes, you know, and we've acted on a number of these, you probably wouldn't even know about it, where we've had people report unusual circumstances or somebody uh, talking about these type of acts and report to us. Uh, And as I say, we actively investigate those because uh, the time clock is ticking on any of those calls, and uh, we want to find out what the nature of it. It could be an offhanded comment but it may be related to something like this act. So we take them very seriously. Well, and you've had experience of that here in the Hamilton area. Go back to 2001, of course, the uh, attack on the Hindu Samaj Temple and the the mosque uh, that that same evening up on the mountain. But even more recently, there have been uh, some questionable acts that have occurred at the mosque downtown that I know you investigated and and ascertained exactly who was responsible, et cetera, like that. So you clearly do follow up on these leads. Well, and again, in that instance, most recently with the, uh, the fire to the, uh, the mosque downtown, uh, we had citizens stepping forward from that community who looked after uh, their neighbors, who followed that suspect to the bar where we could arrest them, uh, who gave us the information, who stamped the fire out. These are all actions to show we aren't going to tolerate uh, people doing these type of things. Now, when you're dealing with a firearm situation like you were in, in Quebec City, it's a little different from a public perspective. We wouldn't expect somebody to put themselves in harm's way. But if you've got some information or, you know, let's say you've got somebody walking down the street slinging a long arm, we want to know. Um, it's not just, oh, you know, they're going out for hunting, uh, you know, moose season, they're going to be driving up north. Don't make any assumptions. And uh, we want to know that information. So to your point, if you see something, say something. Some speculation, too, as to why the police have not released names of the suspects at this stage. I, I was speculating, and it's only speculation at this stage, that uh, that it may be they want to ensure that they've got the right people. Uh, I mean, somebody was arrested at the scene, and as you mentioned, somebody a few blocks away. But I, I think of the incident that happened in France a couple of weeks ago where they thought for sure they had the guy that drove the truck, and it turned out it was the wrong person. Uh, but there was all kinds of indications that that was the guy. That we, But when you're working on a description 
uh, of, of what the individual may have looked like. There is that, that margin of error. That's quite correct. And, I mean, you know, in Society Day with media, everyone wants answers five minutes ago. Uh, part of our um, obligation is to investigate properly, do due diligence, ensure constitutional rights, all those things we hear about after the fact. Well, that creates some of those delays in the information flow because you have to, in fact, confirm that the information is accurate, that you aren't hampering investigations, that you're not jeopardizing search warrants that may be executed at specific addresses, because we know how quickly the media can respond to scenes. Um, if we release names like that, probably within 10 minutes, they're checking the, the home addresses of these people. We need the time to do the work to ensure we gain the evidence and uh, do a proper investigation to bring the people to prosecution in a successful way. So that requires time. And I realize with the uh, immediacy of everything today in the media, uh, but we still have to do due diligence and investigate properly. When there's a traumatic event like this, Chief, how do you sift through uh, the fact from the fiction, and 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 some people in you know probably in the best interest of of trying to do the right thing, uh, th- so well this is what I saw, and it, uh, I mean, I'm sure we see this when there are traumatic and, and and tragic events like this. I don't know anybody's seen the movie Patriot Day. It's out right now. It's a story, of course, about the uh, the Boston Marathon bombings from some years ago, and I remember covering that and and talking to some of my uh, broadcast friends from WBZ in Boston that were right there on the scene. And they say one of the biggest problems Boston police had there was misinformation. And we heard some of those stories, that there were seven or eight bombing suspects and more than two bombs that went off, etc. And uh, it's, it's got to be problematic for police to, uh, to try to move an investigation forward when you've got so much information, which is a good thing, but you don't know how much of it is legitimate information and how much of it is somebody's speculative information. Yeah, and interesting you talk about, and I haven't seen the movie, but I have had debriefings from the Boston uh, bombing. And one of the pieces there was uh, the media was relying on uh, things either on Facebook or Twitter or otherwise. Often what they were finding was, and they look for confirmation, as you know, I'm not talking to a guy from media, uh, but, you, oh, I've got three separate sources. But if you funnel those sources back to the source information, it was all the same information, which may have been erroneous. Which we, somebody retweeted. Correct. That doesn't make it three sources. Exactly. So what happened in the Boston situation was it was the Boston uh, website that became the source of information because they did apply that rigor to ensure the information was correct and valid and then released it. Yes, it didn't happen quite as quickly, uh, but the point is when it did get released, it was accurate. And that's a big piece. We're seeing that in many, many investigations. I know uh, from the shooting in Ferguson, for example, um, we got a debrief from the FBI special agent who did that work. They interviewed over 200 witnesses. Uh, they whittled it down to uh, just a handful of witnesses who actually saw the event. All the rest of the people say, well, well, I retweeted, but I didn't actually see it. But I did say I, I saw it. Well, then you didn't. if you didn't see it, you didn't see it. If you're getting it from a source from Facebook or otherwise, you weren't there. You didn't see it. You may have seen a video clip, but once again, you're not the person who took the video, so you don't know the context. So these are challenges right now, again, with the immediacy of information, but we have to test the veracity. And, of course, our standard is not just to get it out to the media, which is a big piece. We want the public information. We have to ensure it meets the tests of evidence when it goes to court. And, and we saw that. I, I don't want to spend too much time on the Boston Marathon mo- uh, movie, but, uh, again, I go back to our coverage of that as the event was unfolding at that time and, and getting so many different sources. It's got to be frustrating for police to figure, okay, I, we went down that road, and apparently that wasn't true, so now we have to go back over here. Once they got to that, it was pretty pretty solid uh, when they built the case against the two suspects. They pretty much knew who they were talking about. Uh, Closed-circuit cameras, a number of different tools are used in these investigations. 
Agreed. And I mean, the other piece, uh, you know, when people uh, cast their eye back and say, well, they should have known this and they should have known that, uh, quite often that video evidence will come out later. Somebody was running a camera in their store, but, you know, they weren't at the store at the time. So you get it two, three days later, and then everybody says, well, geez, I should have known this right off the start. We got to look at when we got the information, when you could corroborate the information. And there's this tension between a public need to know, which I definitely see, and, and we, you know, the public wants to know what happened. But for us, again, testing uh, the veracity of that information to make sure that it's accurate. Because when you release inaccurate information, and we saw it in Boston, all the, the harm that is done through that. So how do you sift through this? And by the way, we saw that happen, of course, with the Bosman investigation, too, where in short order you were able to narrow your investigation down right. uh, because of the use of all those tools. And, yep. uh, but I guess that's the first thing that you would look at, and, and not necessarily whether the CTTV at the mosque itself, for instance, to go back to the to the Quebec City situation, mm-hmm. but, but you know, identify the vehicle. Are there CCT cameras anywhere in the area? Did you see that? When did the vehicle get there? Who was in it at the time? They, they can be very, uh, I would imagine, enlightening to try to get that kind of information. Well, and probably the parallel, and you work in media, is uh, when you originally get the story, you get a deluge of information. You've got to sift through it yourself to figure out, okay, which part apply, what's current, where did it come from? We face the same thing. Uh, public safety is a big piece, and we want to get information out to ensure public safety. That's the thrust of the media part. For the investigation, to your earlier point, you want to make sure that you've got the correct people. Because if you're looking down the wrong trail and not open to the possibility of some other suspect, then you may miss critical pieces on that investigation to either find them, secure evidence, uh, ensure they're not going to uh, be actively shooting somewhere else. So we've got this push and pull between both things. Public safety, yes, but investigative rigor to make sure that you're going to ensure public safety. Now, we mentioned that some of the cities have actually responded to this. We mentioned New York City and, and others uh, around the area right now. Uh, do you wait for a directive to do that, Chief, or is that something you know that, that each uh, jurisdiction would do? I mean, when, for instance, when the day shift went on parade this morning, do you say, hey, heads up, and by the way, keep an eye out? Do you, do you sp- pay special attention when something like this occurs? Well, sure, and, uh, and you know, on a routine basis, we have sent out places of worship and I, I use it more collectively because it's not just a single mosque. It could be any place of worship, and we keep an eye on those places. But it's in combination with our community. We work with the leadership, and we've spoken to them already. They're not, those conversations are ongoing. We've seen the message come out is, uh, you know, if you, if you see it, tell. And we want to continue. We build on the relationships that currently exist. We don't have to start from ground zero. And part of that is that information flow. Is there something happening out in the community that we need to know relative to some response or somebody else reacting to these events? So we rely on that relationship that we built already, continue those relationships, continue the communication flow. Um, Is there an ultimate safe place for everybody? I can't say that there is, but you have to be vigilant whether that means increasing security or video cameras or people talking uh, just about those events, yes, we have to do all those things. We'll work in partnership. But as again, as I say, often our best leads are from information that come from the community to say, you know, I heard this guy talking about this and that, and this is what I heard them say. Like, that does, I, I'm not comfortable with that. Let us know. Is, is there always concern when something like this happens, such as Quebec City, that uh, maybe copycat's the wrong word, but others that may be, uh, inspired by this to do something? 
It's always a concern. And, you know, again, uh, when we look at um, post-analysis on, on these active shooter situations and who's involved, you're quite right. Whether they're watching the Internet or say, you know, there could be mental health issues, there could be a whole range of things, they see this as a solution to whatever the particular issue is and say, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll try that too. So, again, when you got people in those states and if they're isolated um, or if they're not isolated, we want to know what's going on there. And if it doesn't feel right to you, then probably chances are it is. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.